This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Uh, Bill's a little under the weather today of all days, so I'm going to jump in for at least hour number one. And then coming up at 10 this morning, Scott Thompson is uh, going to uh, hop into the big on-air chair and we'll carry you through our live coverage today starting at 1130 of Donald Trump's inauguration as the 70-year-old becomes the 45th president of the United States and Vice President-elect Mike Pence will become uh, the official sitting VP. So that is coming up at 11.30 this morning. We have lots of insight and analysis, uh, not only throughout this program, but certainly on the Scott Thompson Show this afternoon as well. It's the dawn of a new era, and it all begins at noon today in the U.S. Capitol. Otherwise, on the show today, apart from a lot of the Donald Trump talk that we are going to be discussing, there's a couple of other issues that we are going to toss around in hour number two today, including just how hot is Hamilton's housing market, the real estate market. Well, it is blazing. And we're also going to talk about, uh, at least on Wednesday, we spoke about, you know, how city staff had been asked to put together a bylaw that distinguishes uh, the difference between burlesque and stripping. Well, today... We're going to chat with a burlesque dancer who's come up with some ideas in regards to an amendment that uh, city councillors are kind of uh, chewing on as we speak. But to begin today at noon, as I said, Donald Trump is going to be the new president of the United States. He'll take the oath of office administered by Chief Justice John Roberts and will deliver a speech commemorating the occasion Uh, With as many as 800,000 people expected to attend the ceremony today, there is a massive security presence in Washington, D.C. Homeland Security estimates about 28,000 personnel from many different agencies are involved in the security detail. And aides say that Trump, in regards to his speech, has been personally invested in crafting the 20-minute speech. Uh, Spokesman Sean Spicer saying it's uh, less of an agenda and more of a philosophical document. Uh, the inauguration, by the way, is going to be followed by a celebratory lunch and a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue. There's also the presidential balls coming out later on tonight. Joining us to kick off our uh, Trump inauguration coverage is Barry Kay, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. Mr. Kay, how are you today? Good morning, Rick. Well, at noon today, as I said, Donald Trump is going to take the oath of office how will America change? Oh, goodness. I, I mean, one of the unusual things about this presidency is we really don't have much of a clue exactly what Donald Trump is going to come out. Uh, he is capable of um, of certainly being gracious. He certainly said some very um, modest comments in, in the wake, immediate wake of the election night back in November. But then he undid it with all the tweets. Um, and indeed, one day he, he's uh, praising somebody, the next day he's insulting them, and the, the day after he may be praising them again. Very transactional. And what it means is that the ability of pundits uh, to make predictions of just what's coming down the pike um, isn't exactly clear. There are some things he believes in. There are some things he's been consistent about, uh, certainly with regard to economic nationalism and um, being concerned about free trade. He's concerned about immigration. Um, he wants to make a, uh, put a, a stronger posture with regard to the American military, he wants to put a lot more money into the military. Uh, he also wants to lower taxes, and a, a lot of those things really aren't easily reconciled. But in trying to predict what Donald Trump, because he's, he's certainly capable of saying some of the most outrageous things. Just this past week, he talked about the fact that um, uh, that the, the, the NATO was ba- had basically become irrelevant. He, uh, he made comments suggesting that um, 
the German um, Chancellor Angela Merkel and uh, Putin in Russia should be are were equally trustworthy. Uh, things that one just doesn't expect to hear from a, any kind of American politician, much less the president. So, um, again, it's kind of going to be a curveball in many ways. We're not sure. There are some things he, he will be consistent on, but I think there are many more things he's not been consistent on. I think it's safe to say in large parts over the next four years we can expect the unexpected. Yeah, and he loves. he seems to thrive on controversy. I'm just the opposite of Barack Obama, who is perhaps as close to a scandal-free presidency as I can remember in my lifetime. Uh, Donald Trump is just inviting scandal and inviting controversy, um, again, with the things he is saying, but frankly, with his inability or unwillingness to be transparent. Um, I think the Russian issue and um, of what America's proximity will be to Russia in the next few years is going to be one of the big controversies, because on that, he's just not out of step with the Democrats. He's out of step with a lot of Republicans as well. Do you think that controversy, that, that scandal, uh, is uh, creating most of the fear amongst Americans? Uh, I think different people have fear for different reasons. Uh, people who are recent immigrants or people who see themselves as prospective immigrants, um, I think, have reason, a genuine reason to be concerned. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, his, his treatment of, um, or his claims about how he would treat uh, illegals or undocumented um, Americans, people that are living in the States but never did, did so in, in a proper way. I think that there's the real reason for fear among them. Uh, I know that uh, trading partners of the U.S. are apprehensive, even in Canada. I think we perhaps have less reason to fear in Canada than others because um, for areas like the auto industry, our, uh, the auto industry is so integrated with the American, I think it would be virtually impossible to start putting tariffs on cars coming from Canada when, in fact, most of those cars are going to have had six or seven exchanges across the border just with regard to, um, to parts. Um, the agricultural sector in Canada perhaps has a little more reason to fear. Uh, a lot, there's lots of reason for, for different countries to feel fear just because they don't know what's coming. <clears throat> um, I think we have less reason than most, but there are segments of the population, uh, people who prospectively aren't sure whether they're going to be covered by health care because they don't have good health care with their, um, their jobs and as a result have gone on to Obamacare. There's estimates of over 20, 22 million people that could be affected in that way. We just don't know. The Republicans and Trump have said all sorts of things about repealing Obamacare. He's also said that he wants to replace it, but nobody has said with regard to what. So, yeah, there, there, there's certainly lots, lots of reason to be unsure about what the future holds. And uh, for some people, um, I'm personally not particularly fearful in my life, um, uh, goodness knows what's going to happen. A foreign policy is really the area that if one genuinely wants to tremble, uh, the one should be uh, uncertain. But the, there are a number, there's a number of questionable people around Trump, but there's also a number of good people around Trump. And one would like to think that at the end of the day, he will listen to common sense. But goodness knows all sorts of silly things come out of his mouth that are totally unthought out. We're hearing from Barry Kay, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University here on The Bill Kelly Show on AM 900 CHML. Rick, in for Bill. Um, Trump's speech today is going to be heavily dissected. We've heard from spokesman uh, Sean Spicer, who says uh, Trump's speech is going to be less of an agenda, more of a philosophical, uh, philosophical, philosophical, that's the word, document. Uh, Hasn't that been the case, though, for most first-time presidents? Yeah, look, um, it's natural in a day like this for lots of attention to be given to the inaugural address. And there have been a few memorable ones, particularly memorable phrases. Ask not what your country will do for you is one that certainly comes to mind for many people. Uh, Most of these um, inaugural addresses don't matter all that much at the end of the day. And I think with Trump, who says one thing one day and another thing the next day, perhaps even less, I mean, I I would assume that he will, in fact, make a great... uh, 
um, effort to try to suggest that he's going to help bind the wounds, because America is very divided. In fact, as we all know now, that uh, he got three million, almost three million fewer votes than Hillary Clinton. And America was divided long before that anyway. Uh, so that the idea of trying to bring America together is certainly the natural standard fare one would expect in an address like this. But frankly, that isn't going to last very long if, in fact, in the next couple of days he starts insulting more people in, in, in his tweets. Um, and that's why I, um, I understand that today the inaugural address will get a lot of attention. Uh, I'm not sure that um, a week from now, and certainly not a month from now, many people are going to remember it. Most people don't remember most inaugural addresses. We talked about some of the fear in America. There is a lot of hate in America as well, and we do know that events surrounding the inauguration today uh, and throughout the weekend is going to be twinned with massive protests and rallies. Do you think the anti-Trump campaign is going to diminish as his presidency moves on? Uh, it may t- tire out, I, hopefully at some point. Uh, I mean, the, the, the marches and so forth are largely symbolic. Uh, they aren't going to change a whole lot, and certainly they aren't going to change Trump at all because he's faced this throughout the last year and a half that he's been, been running for president. Uh, I do think there are substantive our, our obstacles to Trump, especially domestic policy. Um, he can undo and will undo, I think, a number of the executive orders that Barack Obama issued unilaterally, things that he just, you know, suggested he would re- interpret how laws that were already passed would be, um, would be enforced. But with regard to passing new legislation, uh, he frankly is facing quite an obstacle in the, um, in the U.S. Senate. Even Barack Obama, uh, after his first two years when he had a 60-vote uh, majority for a time in the U.S. Senate, that Barack Obama in the last six years wasn't able to get much in the way of legislation through. The Republican majority is only 52 votes, well short of the 60 that they would need um, to, to resist the filibuster. Um, and I think that's going to be the most substantive check on, uh, on, on Donald Trump's agenda on various issues. Anything that involves spending money, for example, he's going to have to get congressional support. He'll, getting the House, House of Representatives won't be such a problem. But getting 60 votes in the Senate is going to depend on working with the Democrats, He's already referred to Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader in the Senate, as a clown, although he knows him and has worked with him in the past. Just stuff comes out of his mouth that just is not thought through. I think there are going to be substantial checks upon uh, Trump and indeed uh, upon the Republicans in Congress, apart from um, you know, the, uh, the executive order. Executive orders, there are going to be some things on Monday. There are going to be a number of changes uh, I- I- indicated based on not laws, but based on these executive orders. But in terms of substantive change and anything that involves spending real money, <clears throat> I think um, Trump is going to have a great deal of, of, of challenge. And that, that, to me, is much more significant than the, the marches and the petitions and so forth that we're starting to see. CHML is going to be carrying the uh, Donald Trump inauguration live starting at 11.30 this morning. We're talking with uh, Barry Kay, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University here on The Bill Kelly Show. Um, in a speech in New Delhi yesterday, uh, former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper predicted that Trump is going to reverse seven decades of U.S. foreign policy, saying that the country is going to turn inwards and focus on narrow economic interests. How will Canada and how will the, the globe, really, be impacted? Well, yeah, I'm not sure it's going to be as dire as all that. I think uh, Harper is sort of getting people ready for the fact there will be changes. I'm not sure what all the changes are. Uh, I, mean, I suspect Trump doesn't know what all the changes are. And I think there will be checks upon him. Look, one of the checks upon Trump that I haven't mentioned is the fact that his, his popularity is totally hit the, hit, hit the tank. Um, that indeed it's natural for politicians, even in contested elections like with um, George W. Bush, uh, back in 2000 or 2001, really, when he's inaugurated, or Bill Clinton, they at least were in the 60% range of popular. Usually, presidential new presidents get honeymoon periods where people want to rally around them. 
Uh, Barack Obama actually exceeded 75% for a while. I mean, it, that didn't last. But it's natural. This is probably as popular this particular time, right at the beginning, is as popular as most presidents ever get. Yet, Trump is actually declined in support. He was at 46% on election night. He's now at about 37 38%, depending on which poll you look at. Um, and indeed, that will sober up the people around him. And indeed, it may well be that for all the talk and fear, and I don't want to suggest that he's not capable of doing or saying silly things because he's been doing it. But um, I'm not sure that I'm as quite as concerned as, um, uh, as, as Stephen Harper expressed in that, particular, uh, in that particular speech. One of his concerns is that, in fact, a lot of countries, including Canada, have been free riders with regard to defense. We have not paid nearly our share of what other countries are doing to protect ourselves internationally from attack. Um, and in that particular regard, I think Trump's uh, concerns probably do resonate with other, with other Americans. Um, as a Canadian, frankly, I'm quite, uh, quite happy to have less money going into defense and more money going into health care, and I suspect most Canadians feel that way. And because of our geographic location, I'm sh- I don't think we're quite as concerned about attacks from Russia, for example, as people in Eastern Europe might be. But, um, you know, the question that's raised, uh, you know, by, by, uh, by the quote from, um, from Harper is legitimate. Certain things can change. I, I mean, when he talks about 70 years, those, those 70 years of foreign policy have not been a straight line. Different administrations have done different things at different times. Um, but, yeah, I think we should be ready at least for the possibility of change. And I think uh, public opinion and the American response to Trump, if his uh, public opinion ratings continue to tank, continue to, to go down and down and down, at some point, he's not going to be up for election for another four years, but the Republicans will be, and I think you're going to see much less support for him among Republicans. Forget about Democrats who wouldn't be expected to be so supportive anyway. Um, I, think, I think it's very much an open question as to just how far this is going to go. And at some point, he's going to have to pay, start paying more attention. Of all the things he's doing, I think these, um, these sort of um, petty, um, impulsive tweets are among the most ridiculous because it is not helping him, it's hurting him. Um, it may, he, he may feel that he sort of is a way of connecting with his base, and he's got 25 million or whatever it is um, people on, on his Twitter feed that he, can, uh, that he can communicate with. But at some point, I th- reality is going to kick in. I'm just not sure how quick it's going to be. But the faster the polls go down, or if they continue to go down, then things can change, and they may yet go up. But almost every president, uh, presidential candidate I can think of in the recent era, certainly since we've had polling, has probably been at their most popular at this point in time. And the future for everybody else has been only to uh, to go downward. We'll see. Yeah, that, that's uh, you know those those numbers are, are very uh, very interesting. One last question for you. I've got a couple minutes here. Premier Kathleen Wynne, in a speech to the Burlington and Oakville Chambers of Commerce last week, said she's going to make it crystal clear to Trump that the partnership Ontario has with many U.S. states, including Michigan, uh, is worth keeping if not advancing. Will Trump have an appetite for that to to advance those partnerships? Look, um, I, th- I think Kathleen Wynne's influence with Trump is minimal, but the influence of American um, business leaders and American political leaders, American governors in the border states. There's um, a majority of American states, their, their biggest trading partner is, is, is with Canada. They send a, it, the trade relationship isn't just one way. I've already suggested why it's so difficult in the auto industry to really to start putting in any kind of tariffs anyway, because most cars have all parts coming from all sorts of places. Um, but I, I think the influence upon, I, I, regardless of what uh, Wynne says, I mean, she's not that popular with the Ontario population at the moment. I think the real impact on that is not to be uh, gained from what Kathleen Wynne may say or do, but rather what um, American politicians and, and governors in the various states adjacent to Canada, they very much understand that the relationship with Canada is important. And look, trying to upset free trade 
is inevitably, but starting to put tariffs on goods, whether they come from Canada, Mexico, China, Vietnam, or wherever, is inevitably going to raise the price of goods. That's, that's by definition, that's going to happen. And that's only going to have a deterrent effect on the economy. It's going to slow down the economy. People are going to be less likely to buy anything if, in fact, the price is going up. So it's one thing to threaten these things in order to try to get into a better negotiating position, and that's certainly Trump's style. But to think that, indeed, there's going to be um, a promiscuous, promiscuous use of, um, of tariffs on foreign goods as a, as a trading device, um, I, I think that's totally counterproductive. It will hurt the United States as much or more as the other countries. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Talking a little earlier on about how it, it's probably going to be pretty unpredictable to think of, of what the action is going to be of Donald Trump as president. Is he going to continue to tweet? Is he uh, what is he going to do? Uh, action up to this point, certainly uh, uh, unpredictable. So what makes this thing moving into the first hundred days of the presidency is going to be any different to talk more about all of this. Paul Quirk is with us, Department of Political Science, University of British Columbia, and he is with us now. Hello, Paul. How are you today? Fine. How are you, Scott? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Your thoughts on the day today? This is all sort of coming to a head with this. What are your thoughts up until this point? Well, it's uh, it's a day that that uh, most people in uh, in my my branch of the world never thought would happen. So uh, we'll see how it goes from from there. Uh, uh, it is, as you say, going to be a very unpredictable uh, presidency for. All kinds of reasons. Well, the main one of which is, uh, of course, Donald Trump's uh, unpredictability. But the uh, essential thing is that he has uh, uh, he has, on the one hand, uh, strong majorities in Congress. So whatever they all agree to do, they can do uh, pretty much without with uh, the Senate can slow, Democrats can slow them down. But it's not even clear how much they agree on what to do. And it's also not clear how much Donald Trump agrees with some of his cabinet appointments. Uh, we certainly haven't been able to predict his actions up till now. Any reason why we can moving forward? Will this calm down a little bit? Will we still see tweets plenty? What are your thoughts there? Will well, he start I, I acting more presidential-like? Right. I, I'd say that there now have been several tests of whether under, you know, under new circumstances, uh, you know, once he became the uh, odds-on winner of the nomination, once he won the nomination right after the election, uh, several times at which people thought, well, now maybe he would pivot and start acting more uh, presidential and uh, start trying to build broader support and heal divisions and so forth, and none have come to pass. So it, so that it seems as if uh, you know, what you see is what you get, and it'll probably be uh, about the same. Uh, he has said this morning uh, that he won't be using the hashtag POTUS, uh, President of the United States, obviously, uh, and wants to keep using his own account. It, um, does this say more about his uh, support for his own brand <laughs> rather than the job? Well, uh, I'm not sure, but one thing is that uh, there are undoubtedly at this point, many, many more followers of, uh, of his personal account than there are of the uh, of the presidential account. That's not been the most important means for the president to communicate with the country, and even people who support the president haven't necessarily followed him. So he's got a he's got a uh, a big investment in building. I mean, of his time uh, in building his uh, following, and I think that's probably what he's what he's thinking. He doesn't want to lose. Yeah. Uh, how do you think this is going to affect Canada moving forward? Well, the situation with Canada is uh, uh, very hard to to call. Uh, one thing that I think is uh, pretty clear is that 
uh, constraints on energy uh, policy, including energy imports that are related to environmental concerns, will uh, will disappear largely, and uh, that ought to be beneficial for for, for Canadian energy uh, industries. The trade question is is harder to call. I I would have said that in the first place, it's he's been uh, hostile to, uh, to uh, trade in general uh, throughout his campaign, and that's a that's on, on the face of it a problem for Canada. I've long felt that his main concern was uh, tr- uh, imports from countries that have low wage uh, labor, uh, and that therefore are, are more plausibly blamed for losses of American jobs. And I didn't think that Canada would become a target of that uh, of that concern once he once he got into office. His Commerce Secretary does say that the NAFTA agreement uh, and renegotiating it is the first order of business. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But I still think that the, the trade issues that will concern them are uh, mostly imports of manufactured goods from low-wage countries. Uh, lots have talked about uh, reopening uh, of NAFTA, and some were panicking about this. Uh, on the other hand, as we move closer to the inauguration, many have said that it's not a big deal to reopen NAFTA, that it's been there for 20, 25 years and needs to be updated anyway. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's, I think that's uh, kind of where I was going. That is, there, there will undoubtedly be uh, some effort to change some of the language of NAFTA, but uh, in negotiating it, the issues that will really concern the United States uh, and where they'll be trying to get changes uh, are, are not particularly ones that are going to be difficult for Canada. And, uh, you know, the Canadian uh, manufactured goods imported to the United States are a very large part, part of production processes that are also important in the United States. So I think they're, they'll open it up again, uh, and Canada will have to be uh, willing to talk about it. But my bet would be that the United States does not take any really hard positions that are really costly to Canada. How will how do you think he's going to adjust to being president? Uh, always been his own man, always run his own companies, sort of thing. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hurry up and wait when it comes to politics. It's a completely different game. How do you think he's going to manage that? Well, it's it's a it's a huge uncertainty whether he how much interest he actually will have in uh, in doing the job. Uh, you know, he he has uh, shown already tremendous impatience for receiving the daily briefings from the intelligence community, which he thinks are too long and detailed. He's just not uh, not that interested. I think uh, an important thing is that presidents, there are difficulties with this, but presidents can hand off uh, most of what they do if they, if they care to. And uh, uh, you know, so it's, it's possible that Vice President Pence could become the main actor in terms of uh, making policy decisions, I, I actually think it would be more likely that he would turn to his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who he seems to trust uh, a great deal. But uh, Donald Trump could spend uh, eight hours a day uh, at rallies uh, and have uh, Jared Kushner and Mike Pence do most of the substantive governing. 
Uh, let's talk a bit more about the staff. Lots have talked about how, uh, you know, he talked of draining the swamp and so on and so forth and then fills the, the swamp with millionaires and such and experts in the business, uh, which I guess is what his plan was all along. What are your thoughts on that and how they'll adjust to their new roles? I think a, an important uh, aspect of his cabinet appointments was that he had so little uh, support from Republican elites and former officials, people who had normally, uh, after eight years of Democratic government, uh, following eight years of Republican government, you would still have lots of assistant secretaries and former assistant secretaries and high appointees of of previous Republican administrations who would move up uh, and and get appointments in uh, as as cabinet leaders. Most of those people did not support uh, Trump. And uh, Trump uh, has not been inclined to be particularly generous about uh, relying on people who didn't support him. So a lot of the character of this of his uh, cabinet and other appointments, uh, actually it's a shortage of other, it, it, he's way behind the uh, normal schedule in filling the large number of, of, of appointments presidents have to fill. A large part of the inexperience that these people have uh, and the fact that they come from uh, from business circles and people that he's familiar with is probably due to the lack of relationships that he has had with the Republican Party. Paul Quirk has been with us, Department of Political Science at the University of British Columbia. Paul, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Uh, interesting times we're heading into. Yes, for sure. Thank you, Scott. Thank you very much. That's Paul Quirk, uh, Department of Political Science at the University of British Columbia. Phone lines always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Roberto's on the line. Roberto, what are your thoughts uh, as we head into a Donald Trump presidency? Well, being that he's a man of truth and honesty and for justice for all, uh, always there's been 800,000 jobs created by Toyota, I believe, one of the top uh, and, uh, companies building cars over there. As soon as they heard that he was taken over in 20, yesterday, they opened up. Now, that was get rid of the old boy in there. Didn't do much for him, but 800,000 jobs just, you know, and I think there's going to wonders for Canada and the states and the whole world. So you think it's a positive thing, and you're looking forward to it? I said in another year, people going to say, well, they never say anything bad about him. And me and the other people, we just said, hey, Trump, go for it. I supported the man. I sent some money down to support him. All right, Roberto, thanks for the call. Yeah, Much I- appreciated. Phone lines always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. You can always, always send us a note as well, Scott Thompson at 900chml.com. Asking you your thoughts uh, as we go uh, as we continue with the Bill Kelly Show right into the Scott Thompson Show. Uh, what are your thoughts on, as we move into a Donald Trump presidency, what do you think uh, will be the result for the United States and for Canada. i uh, love to hear from you as well. You can uh, contact us through Facebook and Twitter. Phone lines always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Twitter, obviously a big part of uh, the Donald Trump campaign, and as uh, even before he comes president, uh, we're certainly still seeing lots of action. Uh, as well, obviously, you know there's a hashtag, POTUS, which is for the president of the United States, uh, which the president uses when tweeting. Uh, it looks like he's not going to be using that, and he's going to continue to use his own account, uh, obviously, to still be in contact with the people uh, that put him where he was. To talk m- more about all of this, Mark Gordon is with us, marketer, expert, speaker, and he is with us now. Hello, Mark. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think that we will see um, more of the same Twitter action uh, from Trump as he continues with his president, as he gets into his presidency? 
Well, it would certainly seem that way. I don't think he uh, is ready to slow down at all. Uh, I guess the big concern is what the people around him, what his inner circle is going to do uh, with regards to influencing how he uses Twitter. How do you control that if you are his staff? How do you? Because it seems now uh, he sort of lobs one into center field and they all run out and get it and, and try to fix it and, and clarify or decode whatever it is that he said. How will his staff uh, police him or monitor him on that? Or are they just sort of at his whim? Well, I got to tell you, yeah, I think you, you, you nailed it there. I think he's going to be calling the shots. And I think um, the only thing that's really going to impact him, how he uses Twitter or any kind of communication tool like that, is if there's some kind of negative repercussion. If someone can pull him aside and say, look, this is, this is what's happening in the world because of what you're doing, or this is how your job is being compromised because of what you're doing. And I think at that point he may reassess things. But for the time being, he's quite content to say whatever's on his mind. Uh, what about the security aspect of this? Uh, once you become president, everything changes. We remember Brock and, and you know his love of his BlackBerry and such back in the day. Uh, how do, is there, does it create any more security issues with him doing this on his own account, doing his own thing? Well, I, initially I would say not. But having said that, uh, it seems like the whole security issue has really gone out the window. I mean, the guy doesn't even want to live full-time in the White House. You know, he wants to bounce back and forth between that and his residence in New York. So it would seem to me that they've got way more security issues to deal with than, you know, him voicing his opinion on Twitter. Do you think that uh, the American people are happy with what he's doing? I mean, it is a direct link to them. Uh, certainly worked for him uh, during the presidential uh, nomination and or his own party nomination and race. Um, do you think people are, are, are getting tired of it in the sense that, thinking, you know, the president shouldn't be commenting on what Alec Baldwin does or what SNL does or what, you know, Meryl Streep says. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I definitely think it's, for some, it, it is a great way to reinforce the fact that he's the right guy for the job. And I think for a significant portion of the population, it confirms their thought that he's perhaps very unqualified to do the job. And, and it's somewhat of a, maybe like a car wreck. You know, you're driving by, and you just have to look. You don't want to. You know you're not going to see anything in your life. But you still have to look. And in many cases, I think that's how uh, the general public or a vast portion of the public are viewing his tweets. Uh, You know, obviously for him, the advantage is he can get his message out directly to his followers. It's not like he has to hold a press conference and wait and see what the traditional media decides they want to air or what sound bites they want to use. Now, of course, he just puts out his message and say it's a, you know, a, a two minute message. Uh, he, he will then put it to the news people to let them extricate what they want from it after he's already got the message out. Twitter can, you know, obviously two ways. It creates feedback coming back at him. Do you think he spends as much time listening or, or reading uh, what comes back to him as well as what he's putting out there? Well, it's possible. I mean, he's not known for responding to, uh, to too many of these sort of ordinary people. But with that, you know, I could only imagine the number of responses or retweets or, or um, messages that he receives to Twitter. I think he could spend a full-time job uh, just reading these. But, you know, back with what you touched on about him choosing Twitter as a communication tool instead of, say, your typical uh, press conference, the problem with Twitter is it's very one-dimensional. I mean, number one, you're, you're only getting 140 characters to say what you want. But like you said, it is one way, you know, so he's doing all the talking. There's no real dialogue going on and at a press conference. You know, he's talking in real time, full sentences. He's kind of saying what's on his mind. 
He can be questioned on that in real time and respond back to it in real time. And you get a different essence of who a person is when they're speaking, just like you and I are now, compared to some tweets that are really just a person saying what's on their mind. And, you know, they can step back and they don't have to defend it. Do you think that uh, it will get to the point where he will get himself in some sort of trouble by doing this? Uh, you know what I find fascinating is that here he is, a modern pre- 70-year-old guy, and you know he, he appears to be a modern president in the sense that, uh, it, very interesting, we're watching uh, shots of the Clintons uh, making their way down into uh, the area where... Uh, the inauguration is going to take place, and boy, oh boy, the looks on their faces uh, pretty much says it all. It looks like they're walking and going to a funeral, although you oh wouldn't my. know. You, you wouldn't know it. Hillary is, is is all dressed in white. But I found it fascinating. They sent out a uh, they they sent out a picture the other day, Mark, of Trudeau or of Trudeau of Trump sitting at his desk, apparently writing his inauguration speech, and there he was at his desk with nothing on it, and he's got a pad of paper in his hand. And he's got a pen. And it's like, if this is a guy that's on social media virtually all the time and typing 120 characters or 140 characters with his thumb, what is he doing with a pen and a pad of paper writing a speech on a desk? Uh, Wouldn't you be writing this on your computer? Wouldn't you be, I mean, if you were that uh, tech savvy, why would you be writing your speech out longhand on on a pad and a paper? I found that odd. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say that. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that's probably a staged photo. Yeah, but again, there, there's my question, Mark. Obviously, this is a staged photo. Why wouldn't you put him behind a laptop? Why wouldn't you put him behind a tablet? Why wouldn't you, you know, have him behind his device as opposed to sitting there with a, uh, you know, a paper and a, a pad of paper and a pen? Yeah, you know, there's something very profound and, and, and uh, sincere and almost like romantic to, to, to sit there at a desk with a pen and paper and write something by hand. You know, we're reminded of a different time when people would, would sit down and take the time to put their thoughts together and put it down on paper. And it's, it's really interesting because, I mean, in all fairness to Donald Trump, he is a master marketer. I mean, yeah. he became president, not because of his policies, but because of his marketing. And for him to have a photo like that, I mean, it makes him look so, you know, sophisticated and, and someone who really takes the time to think about things and, and to do things properly. It's almost that image he's created, be it true or false, you know, that's open to argument. But it's interesting. I'm willing to bet that the actual, um, uh, his speech was probably done on a computer. In fact, I have to wonder if it, if it was even done by him. <laughs> you, you, you have to, well, you know, I mean, these guys employ speechwriters, so why would it be any different? And, and again, this is a big deal. This is the time when you differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself between some guy on the street and the President of the United States. So mm-hmm. you, you'd, you'd have to think he didn't write this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it was just a, probably an excellent photo opportunity, uh, something he's, he's never uh, missed a chance to take advantage of. And again, you know, being able to, to say whatever you want in 140 characters or less on your phone doesn't require a great amount of, of uh, skill or technological savvy. You know, I mean, anybody can do it. So, you know, I think the real question is, you know, that we're going to see over the next coming weeks and months is, you know, is he able to set aside his views on everything from, like you said, Meryl Streep to what he sees on television and focus on presidents? being president, because that seems to be the biggest thing right now. A lot of people are coming back going, well, you know, aside from the tweet, 
don't you have a country to run? Yeah. Don't you have bigger things to deal with? And Twitter certainly seems to be taking a lot of the attention more so than his own policies and, and views on, on uh, you know, relationships and policies internationally. Well, you know, it, it's it's funny you should say that because, you know, I, I mentioned the other day on the air that, you know, we all have things to say negatively about our leaders and such, but can you imagine if all of a sudden Premier Wynn or Prime Minister Trudeau started uh, sending tweets out about Canadian TV shows or Canadian actors or celebrities or whatever and, and weighing in on it? I mean, you know, Rick Mercer's a crappy guy. He's never been funny, all that sort of thing. I mean, people would just think the guy's loony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Thank goodness, I have to say, we're on this side of the border, and there is a very, very big difference between Canadians and Americans. And, um, you know, I don't think anyone would put up with it. I think they would probably focus more on the fact that someone like Kathleen Wynne or, or Trudeau are on Twitter saying these things at all. Forget the content. People, I think, would just say, like, why are you wasting yeah. taxpayers' money and time being on this platform saying the things you are? Just get on with your job, where the Americans are focused more, I think, on what he's saying. You know, no one seems to be saying, you know, you don't have time. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.